Peace, peace, peace. I am Philip Browntree, and you're tuned into episode 29 of Hashtag You Good Man. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the unnecessary, untimely, and unfortunate death of 33-year-old rapper Nipsey Hussle. We're going to be talking about the role that mental health may have played in this situation, in particular, black boy rage, when we talk about how mental health manifests itself in black boys and men. Lastly, we're going to be discussing PTSD in urban settings and strategies to combat that. So first and foremost, the the news of Nipsey's death hit hard. It hit hard. I was in Mexico on vacation. I just happened to log in social media and I see rest in peace, Nipsey Hussle. And the first thing that came to my mind was he was killed, right? Because he's 33 years old. He's healthy, right? Because for those of us who do know, he followed Dr. CB and, and holistic living and, you know, was very mindful about the nutrients that he took into his body. So granted, he was relatively healthy and it hadn't been any prior news of him being sick. And so it hit hard because I look at myself and I say, damn, 33, you're only two years older than him, Phil. And it brought up those those thoughts, feelings of emotions of just so much hurt and so much pain. It's the trauma that we feel, especially as black boys and men, when we see somebody that looks like us get killed, especially by somebody that looks like us. It's traumatizing. So here we have all of these factors that exist in the world that aim to marginalize us that aim to harm us. And here we are harming one another. And so, you know, it hit me and I just had to sit and I had to think. And it was just like, I saw headlines that said 33 year old rapper slain. And I'm like, he was more than a rapper, right? Now, granted, I didn't listen to his music like that. I was, I'm not a fan of West Coast vibe music. That's just not me. He did have one song that, that with Puff that I liked because it just, it, it rocked out hard. But I was a fan of the idea uh, of him selling his mixtape for $100 a pop. Any entrepreneur could love that. It's the idea that, yo, this is my worth. This is my value. And you know what? It's not for everybody. And it's something that, I've, that I'm coming to grips with as an entrepreneur. Well, you know what? Listen, my, my speaker's fee, my services that I charge for, you know what? It's not for everybody. So, yeah, he could have sold it for $5. But he said, you know what? I value myself enough to go out and say, here, this is me, $100 a pop. If you rock with it, you rock with it. If you don't, you don't. So I definitely respect that. Now, with regards to the holistic living aspect, again, I, you know, I love my pork. I love my, I love my swine. I love things like, you know, like that. I love bacon. You know, that's just me, right? But I don't begrudge him for for choosing a, a holistic path to live, right? Because he desires something greater for himself, and I think that's what you, that's what you get when you read up on Nipsey. That he desires something greater for himself and something greater for his community because he got killed in the hood. Right. And that brings up additional thoughts that I can get into later. But also with those things, he was also a father. He was also a husband. 
So when I see rappers slain, I get offended because I'm like, yo, it's so much more to them than that. We have to fight. We have to be diligent in fighting against being allowed for people to put us in a box. Just because you know me for one specific thing, that's not all that there is to me. I'm very complex. I'm very unique, as we all are, right? And so the quickest way to jeopardize your mental health is to, to over-identify over with that one aspect of yourself that you're known for. So for, if you're in the NBA, it's you're an NBA player. No, you're much more than that. If you practice art therapy, right? You're so much more than an art therapist. Me, a speaker, I'm so much more than just a speaker. And so we can't over-identify for the one thing that we do and we might do very well because we want to protect our wellness. And so with Nipsey, Nipsey was no different. He was way much more than a rapper. And so with that, you know, and with the story, because I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't care about the story. I didn't care about the story. I didn't want to know the juicy details so I could talk about it on social media and gossip. I had no desire in that. But I ended up hearing uh, from his friends supposedly what it was about. What it was about was, was him making a conscious decision to tell somebody else, listen, I don't want you around here. For whatever reason, whether it's, 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 uh, he, he broke some type of hood code or whatever. He said, yo, I don't want you to be associated with you, which is hard for us to do, especially with the especially as, as black boys and black men. We want to feel involved. We don't want to be rejected. Because then that's just another force that's rejecting us. In his killer's case, he was already a part of a gang. So, yeah, he was probably rejected by his family. I don't I take that back because I, I don't I don't want to speculate. But oftentimes when people join gangs, it's because they're seeking something or they're trying to have an unfulfilled need met. Right. And so I surmise that that was the reason why. And so with that, Nipsey saying, listen, I don't want to be associated with that. That evoked a, 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 an emotion from his alleged killer, Eric Holder. Right. And so it's unfortunate because you see Eric Holder, 29 years of age. Right. His life is effectively over. His life is over. Due to the magnitude of the crime he's alleged to have committed. And so when I when I sit and I heard about, you know, the cause of the death, again, it could always be more. I'm reminded of an article that I penned last June. Uh, entitled Black Boy Rage. And this came the, on the week of rapper Triple X Tentacion being killed again by people who looked like him, who looked like me. And it was traumatizing because these are my family. These are my friends. These are my, uh, my son's friends. These are young boys who, with whom I interact within the community. And so the idea of Black Boy Rage just popped in my head. As I'm writing notes for this podcast, and I'm like, it shows itself again. And one may be asking, well, Phil, what is black boy rage? And so black boy rage is how unhealthy coping 
with thoughts, feelings, and emotions manifests itself in behavior, in particular through anger and rage. And so I'm no different. For those who know me, for those who have seen me speak, they, they've heard the stories about how I learned how to cope from my mother, which was cursing people out, which was rageful. I never fought. That wasn't what I was around. So I didn't learn that that behavior. We have to remember that coping, how we cope is learn the behaviors. If this is what you know, and this is what you see, there's a high likelihood that this is how it's going to present itself when it's your turn to cope with, with thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And so for me, it was cursing people out until I cursed a police officer out, out in college and I ended up getting kicked out. But that day that I got kicked out and I got arrested and, and, and charged on God with ungodly charges, about 30 charges of terroristic threats for cursing somebody out. I know. And if you want to hear the long story, uh, feel free to message me or, or look up my TEDx talk on YouTube called Black Mental Health Matters, where I talk about it. But what that did was that showed me that the way I was coping was unhealthy. It was detrimental to me. Forget everybody else. It was detrimental to me and to the goals that I had in life. And so I had to make that change. And again, once I get into strategies, I'll, you know, I could discuss, you know, what key points and key things that I've done in my life to work through that. Right. But it's important to remind people that that anger doesn't leave. Rage doesn't leave. You know, these type of emotions, especially anger, are healthy. But it's about how. Uh, about how you cope with it. Is it going to be in a maladaptive way or in a healthy way? And so clearly with Eric Holder, you know, his inability to cope coupled with unhealthy masculinity, a history probably of unhealthy relationships, rejection from peers, which we saw here is Nipsey saying, no, no, go ahead, dog. Go ahead. We ain't got no words for you. You an informant. Again, I don't know. But now we don't want to be bothered with you. That caused disastrous results. But the thing is, we see this every day. This doesn't just manifest itself in, in murders like Nipsey's. I saw this a lot when I worked as a therapist within the school setting. Elementary school, high school. Kids, black boys who are unable to cope they didn't have the skills to deal. So I'm, these emotions are going to come out one way or another. So for some, it might come out on the athletic field. For some, they might soak into a deep depression. And for a lot, it comes out in, a, in an unhealthy way. It's yelling. It's cursing. It's threatening. Whether they want to follow through with it or not. It's intimidating. And so I saw this time and time again because they didn't have, they didn't, nobody taught them the skills of how to deal with it. And so they did, they, they, they survived. They survived because that, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about survival as well. Now, and, and when I started thinking about the idea of survival and Eric Holder in this situation, I'm like, listen, if I grew up in Compton, which has a history of being a dangerous place. 
If I had to survive, I couldn't survive by saying, well, listen, sir, let's let's sit and let's talk about our feelings and talk about why we don't like each other. No, it's I got to throw the fist. I got to throw the punch. I got to get at you so you don't get at me and jeopardize my wellness, which in turn means my life. And so let's be clear when I when I say I can empathize with Eric Holder, that doesn't mean I don't think accountability and real accountability should happen. That doesn't mean I don't think he should be uh, in prison for the rest of his natural life. Thankfully, that's not my my, you know, my my burden to bear. That's going to be in a justice system who's going to make an example out of him, which tends to happen when you're a black boy who can't control his and can't control his thoughts, feelings and emotions, thus can't control their behaviors. Somebody's going to control it for you. Again, me being no different, me being kicked out of school. Them attempting to prosecute me. Me having to do two days in jail. As a result of cursing somebody out. Right. But again, I can I can talk about uh, systemic racism that existed on Bloomsburg University's campus during that time. For sure, I can. And within that community, me seeing Confederate flags and being called a nigger. I could talk about all that, but what I can control is me. I have to control my behaviors. I had to control my, my behaviors, my responses to situations. Because when you can control those things, then it doesn't have to be any consequences. You don't give up power. You don't give up control. And that's something I try to educate boys and men about of all of all ethnicities. No matter how one identifies. If you can manage your emotions, you can manage anything in life. And that's real. And so when we talk about the depression and the anxiety that that many of our young boys feel, we see it in elementary schools. We see it in high schools. We see it on college settings like myself. Or you know where else we see it? We see it in the office setting. We just know how to mask it a little better. Or we'll find maladaptive ways to cope. And this is men in general. So we'll go get a, get some drinks after work. We got to have a beer. We got to have a beer. We'll go find other ways to de-escalate, to, to de-stress. So that means going to get another woman, another man on our side to help us. Or that may mean throwing ourselves into our work. This anger, this, this, again, this anger, this rage, these emotions have to get out somehow. Or we'll spend four hours a day in the gym. I've done that too. But ultimately, when we talk about black boy rage as a society, we need to be mindful of the historical traumas that have impacted black mental health. We have to be aware of the present day traumas that impact mental health. Because what's happening is we're being re-traumatized day in and day out, day in and day out. And so we're going to lash out. 
we're going to lash out. Whose responsibility is it? I definitely think it's ours. Right? I definitely think it's ours. But it's also entities like the justice system. To be fully transparent with Laquan McDonald. And not try to cover up and say, yo, we effed up. We're talking about training officers within urban communities. Something that Barack Obama and his Justice Department did. They tried to roll out ways to to help the police engage with the community. Because there's a contentious relationship that exists. I know for me, whenever I see a police officer still to this day, I experience PTSD, heart palpitations, thoughts of having to put my my hands at 10 and 2. Because not only my experience of being kicked out of Bloomsburg in that incident with that police officer, but prior to when I fit the description at 15 years of age. Or when I'm, I'm coming in late at night from my house and I'm about to go in the house. And I get stopped by the police and they ask me what my name, what's my name? And they have a round tree in their little book and say, do I know him? We're talking about trauma. We're talking about Laquan McDonald. We're talking about Sean Bell. We're talking about Amadou Diallo. We're talking about so many people that are, that have been traumatized. And so it's no wonder that meant so many of us experience PTSD. And so for those who aren't familiar with what PTSD is, we're talking about a mental health condition that's triggered by a terrifying event, either experiencing it or witnessing it. When we talk about symptoms, we're talking about flashbacks, nightmares, severe anxiety, uncontrollable thoughts about the event. You think those brothers, it was two other brothers who got shot standing next to Nipsey. You think they're, they're just going to say, oh, okay, I was shot. I'm cool now. No, there's a high likelihood they're going to experience PTSD. Why? Because black boys and black men are more likely to be victims of violent crimes. Which is, a, 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 which is an influencer in mental health. When I talked about that, I was when I talked on Facebook that I was having this podcast and I had some thoughts, I was asked, uh, do I think other groups experience uh, black boy rage in the same rate that we do? And the answer was clearly no. Because the historical trauma isn't there like it is for black and for, for black boys and black men. It's simply not. The present day trauma. Now, there's some similarity that, is, that exists amongst groups. But when we couple both of those things together. Nah, black boy rage is endemic to us. And that's not to say that 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 black boys and, and men are inherently inherently angry and rageful. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is when our when. It starts to manifest itself due to inability to cope. This is how it comes out. There was a study that I read recently 
that talked about black men that put the that dispelled the myth that that we aren't emotional, right? That we don't have attachments. And the study showed that out of out of all the groups that they that they studied, and I, again, it's, I can't give you you know picture point. My memory not that good, right? <laughs> but it said that black women, black men in particular, were, were more likely to go out of their way to help another than many other groups. So yeah, no, we aren't inherently angry and rageful. But we're talking about, again, we're talking about survival. Talking about survival. If I have to walk around on high alert because my life is in jeopardy, when do I get to use healthy coping strategies, Phil? When do I get to, to, to utilize the, the strategies that I'm going to give you for, for PTSD, like mindful meditation? If I'm hearing gunshots, if I have to worry about walking into a store and being followed, trauma. See, trauma is unique to the individual. So we can't sit here and say, oh, that's not traumatic. This is, but that's not. Because that's not a reality. So, yeah, when I go out here, I'm, I'm very mindful that I'm giving things from a, a clinical, a clinical expert, using my clinical expertise, my clinical recommendations. And how, but how difficult it is to say, yo, don't do this to do that. I knew how hard it was for me. It took months and months and months of therapy for me to become more aware of my feelings. Cognitively, I got it. My therapist always say it to me. Phil, cognitively, you understand it, but I need you to feel it. I need you to feel when you're uncomfortable. I need you to be able to feel when you don't feel uh, right or something upsets you. And then having the courage to say it. So a lot of times I saw a lot of black boys and black men and myself included when we're interacting with teachers who may speak to us in a way that we don't like, but because they're the professional, because they're the adult, we have to give them respect. But where does those feelings go? Where do they go? They have to come out. And so, yes, healthy coping is, is a beautiful thing. It's beautiful in theory. But when we talk about practice, when we talk about practice, <laughs> shout out to AI. We talk about practice. It's hard as hell. It's hard as hell. And so I, if I have to pick the choice of survival versus using healthy coping strategies that might put me in jeopardy. They say, oh, hey, let's talk it out. Hey, this is how I'm feeling. Nah, I'm going to choose survival every day. Every day. Now, that's not saying I'm condoning the behavior. But what I'm saying is, I understand. And so what I'm saying is, I can understand how Eric Holder got to that point 
was he was so emotionally destitute that he lashed out in the only way that knew he knew how instead of taking it on the chin and saying, all right, cool. I don't need to be, I don't want to be around y'all anyway. I don't need to be in this environment anyway. Let's get to the strategies, man. When we talk about strategies, and it's, it's funny because, you know, even though I know strategies, I always Google, right? I always Google. And this is one of the issues that I have, you know, especially when we talk about mental health in this country and the reason why I did Black Mental Health Matters. Check it out on, on YouTube, my TEDx talk. It's because I'm like, listen, are these, when we talk about culturally competent and realistic, how realistic are, are these strategies? Now, in the first one, understanding and avoiding triggers, I had to add that, right? Because everything that I saw didn't even mention about understanding and recognizing your triggers. And it's just like, if you don't know yourself, how are you going to be able to, to, to recognize Anything that's happening and how it can impact you. So understanding and avoiding triggers. And, but some triggers are unavoidable. And that's when we really have to work hard as hell. We talk about mindfulness meditation, right? We talk about culturally competent and having realistic, uh, you know, realistic expectations. You know, so, so for me to go where Nipsey and them from and say, listen, we're going to meditate, fellas. Listen, I tried that in my men's group that I hold. Listen, fellas, we're going we're gonna to do some yoga in the near future. Yeah, it was like, what? Yoga? Yoga? <laughs> like, like, yeah, yoga. Because, see, I had to become secure in my masculinity. That's another piece when we talk about black boy rage. I had to become secure in my masculinity, even though I hate those terms. I had to become more healthy a healthier person to recognize that, you know, being in tights or being in whatever and doing different poses that somebody might be able to say pause to or no homo to will actually help me in de-escalating and lessening stress levels. So mindful meditation. And listen, if you, if you can listen to this, you can Google what mindful meditation is. Google mindful meditation in my area. Simple as that. We're talking about therapy. Listen, I restart therapy tomorrow at 9 a.m. I haven't been in about three months due to some issues. You know, my Obamacare have been acting funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but you listen, man, therapy, talking it out, talking about what your triggers are, really working through that in a safe environment. So if you need to cry, if you need to yell, if you need to scream, it's okay. It's funny. Like I can yell, I can cry, I can scream in my therapist office, right? That's healthy. But if I yell, if I cry, if I scream in a classroom, I'm incorrigible and I have behavior problems. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. The, the way we're conditioned to think, right? Physical activity. That's, that was one of my, my vices for years. Still is. And healthy vice. Physical activity. That's what we call youth stress. Healthy stress. 
versus negative stress. And so by building up eustress, that helps combat the unhealthy forms of stress. And so it'll help decrease your blood pressure. Because if you're walking around with high blood pressure and then you get more stress added, recipe for disaster. But if you're, I'm much calmer. Think about it. When you work out, aren't you much calmer afterwards? I mean, you might be a little hyper, you know, because the endorphins are rolling. But conversely, you're still a little bit calmer. You're relaxed. You're chill. It might take a little bit more to get you upset, frustrated. Or if you if a trigger happens, it may take you longer to respond. And so art therapy. Art therapy is something that I introduced to my men's group. I had all the brothers come in. They sat down at the table and, and I, I didn't tell them. Because again, art therapy was one of those things that was just like, yeah, I don't know how it'll be received, what the turnout's gonna be. And once I saw the older the older Muslim brother sit down, he was like, all right. And he started coloring in lions and flamingos and peacocks and parrots. And we sitting there having conversation, just chilling, just relaxing. It can do so much. But especially when we talk about black men and, and, and black boys in particular, utilizing art, because a lot of times we don't have the words to get out what we're feeling, but we can put it in art form and then and then explain it. That can be a powerful way. Do you need a licensed art therapist? No, that would help for sure. But you can go to your local dollar store, get some get some adult coloring books, get some coloring books and just draw. Color, release, release, release it in a healthy way. And then one of the last recommendations for, for helping with PTSD in particular was getting, uh, getting an animal. And I'm like, wow, is this why within urban communities, especially we love dogs so much? I mean, I know the world loves dogs. But we love dogs, too, that we don't really get the credit for how much we love animals. I know me, I'm a cat person. And hence the reason why I cried when my cat Jazz, Jazz ran away. My mom left the door open by accident. No, I don't know about that, but I was 25. I let them tears flow, right? Because it was calming. And so if you're having night terrors, if you're having that, that type of symptom from PTSD, if you're having flashbacks, animals are very perceptive. They'll come lay on you. That's why you see an animal in hospitals, you know, animals, when a, when a patient is about to die, they'll go to that, that, that patient's room and just sit with them. Just the comfort, the care. They don't have the hangups that adults have or that humans have in general. So just to wrap up, we're talking about strategies, understanding, and avoiding triggers. We're talking about talk therapy. We're talking about mindfulness meditation. We're talking about physical activity. And last but not least, art therapy. Listen, if you, I know an art therapist. She's not licensed yet, but you know that's the homie. You know, I'll, I'll push her your way, right? For a fee, of course. <laughs> nah, but you know, I, I hope 
that what we learn from Nipsey is that to really just be your best self, man. Be your best self. And the only way you can be your best self is to really work through, work through your feelings, work through your thoughts, work through your emotions, not around, but work through. As always, you can catch me on on Instagram and Twitter, Phil, P-H-I-L underscore quadify, Q-U-A, D as in dog, E-F-Y. Catch me on Facebook.com slash PhilipMSW. That's Philip with two L's. Check out my website, www.quadifyllc.net. Go grab some merch. Sign up for coaching services. I appreciate y'all. Peace.